Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. It's good to be with you, my friend. It's been a while since we've been together, just the two of us. If this is your first episode of Have Hope Will Travel, one of the things we like to do here is we like to tell people stories. We especially like to tell stories when they are unique stories or different perspectives, things that you might not hear every day. Kind of like when you travel. When you travel, you get to know people who are different than you are. You hear their perspectives and their stories, and all of a sudden the world becomes a smaller place. We learn to stand with people instead of just having an opinion on an issue. I'm not afraid to talk about controversial things. We've been talking about race since before Ahmaud Arbery's death. We had a non-Christian lead in evangelism training. We have talked about mental health. We've talked about deconstruction of your faith. We've talked about chronic illness. We've talked about miraculous healing. We have, in Karen's own words, opened the can of worms that is LGBTQIA. We've talked about a lot of different things. But there's one controversial topic I've not been brave enough to take on yet. Well, actually, there are a couple of them. But one that we're going to take on today actually came up a couple of episodes ago. So it's time. The topic's open. We need to talk about speaking in tongues. And I know that when the concept of speaking in tongues comes up, people respond generally in one of three ways. First one, I'm not interested in speaking in tongues. That happened in the book of Acts. Is done. Game over. Don't want to hear about it. No. Thank you for listening to this episode. You are welcome here. The second category of people are, I used to be involved with a church that spoke in tongues and a lot of bad things happened. Spiritual abuse, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't good. I'm not interested in talking about speaking in tongues. It's triggering for me. Thank you for listening to this episode. You are welcome here. The third category of people are like, yeah, I'm cool with it. No big deal. You're also welcome here. So I don't know which category you find yourself in, but before you turn the episode off, will you let me talk about it a little bit? Let's take a look at what the scripture actually says. And then instead of writing it off as if an issue we don't want to talk about, let's see if we can see a different perspective. Maybe be more comfortable with it. Instead of just having a different opinion on an issue, let's stand with people whose stories may be a little bit different than our own. So no matter which category you found yourself in, know that I hear you, I see you, and I've been there with you. I've invited a lot of other people to share their stories here at Have Hope Will Travel, and I've never really taken the time to share my own. So before we talk about speaking in tongues, I'd like to share a little bit about myself. I'm a Lutheran woman. Okay, I'm sort of a Lutheran woman. I was raised Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which means I can recite the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. I can tell you the difference between the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, and I can tell you when they're used in the church calendar. Yes, I'm very familiar with the church calendar. I've confessed my sin and what I've done and what I've left undone. I know the common table prayer. I was baptized as an infant. I was confirmed Lutheran. They don't ordain women, and they're really not interested in speaking in tongues. So that's how I grew up. And then I went to a Baptist college, and I learned that not everyone believes that babies are sinful. And I seriously had people tell me that my baptism did not count because I don't remember it. That's not the conversation we're having today. But I spent seven years in a community where altar calls were more common than communion. And those seven years are part of me now. I don't actually think the sinner's prayer and asking Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior is in Scripture, but I know the Scriptures that are used to support it. And to be completely honest, if I were introducing someone to Jesus for the first time, I might use Romans Road. I have handed out tracts, 
And as much as I try to deny it, I have some Southern Baptist in me. Can I get an amen? And then I sort of fell into this charismatic pool. I didn't really mean to. I was traveling with some people and I learned very quickly that they were expressive in how they worshiped. It felt so genuine and I wanted it. I felt like they were on fire for the Lord in a way that I had never seen before. And whatever they had, I wanted. Then I heard someone get a vision for the first time. I literally looked around as if it was some wall decor that I had not noticed. I'm not even kidding. I've shared some of my stories from that season in our healing episode series, episodes 27 to 31-ish. And I spent the next two years trying to figure out what it meant now that I've fallen into this charismatic pool. And when that season was over and I was out of the pool, I realized that I was wet. And once you're wet, it's way more fun to play in the pool than it is to sit on the sidelines. So when someone asks me what denomination I'm part of, the most true answer is that I'm a Lutheran Baptist Pentecostal. Except that's a lot to say. So I mostly just say Lutheran. Sometimes I'll say charismatic Lutheran. But I didn't even know that was a thing until I moved to Minnesota. And unknowingly at the time, thank you, Jesus, I joined a church that gave me language to express this theological mutt that I had become. They called it, and now I call it, the radical middle. So as we talk about speaking in tongues, remember that I'm a Lutheran Baptist Pentecostal. These aren't actually opposing forces. And regardless of which stream you're coming from, can you join me in the radical middle for the next 30 or so minutes while we talk about it? Like every controversial topic we take on here at Have Hope Will Travel, this conversation is merely a beginning. It is not an end. There are plenty of things that we are not going to be able to talk about today. Maybe those will be space for a future episode. Or maybe, just maybe, the Lord is inviting you into deeper intimacy with him as you deep dive those topics on your own. Wouldn't that be cool? And isn't that the point of every single thing that I do? Every post I make on Instagram, every podcast I create, to leave you one step closer to Jesus, to invite you to encounter him for yourself. So whatever questions you're left with, you can send them to me on Instagram at Katie Axelson or Katie at katieaxelson.com if you prefer email. But spend some time with the Lord with them. Wrestle with them. I'd love to wrestle with you with him as well. All right. You still with me? I haven't offended anyone yet, right? Okay. Good. So, It's Pentecost weekend, and I remember my Lutheran pastor once asking us the three most important Christian holidays. Christmas and Easter, of course. But what's the third? Pentecost. And in my Lutheran church, that's about all we talked about it. The Holy Spirit belonged in the third article of the Creed, and we did not ever let him out to play. Unless the pastor got long-winded. That was a move of the Holy Spirit. So what even is Pentecost? You know, besides this, like, scary tongues of fire, we're not actually drunk, it's 9 o'clock in the morning thing. It's actually a Jewish holiday called Shavuot. It happens seven weeks, 50 days, hence the Pentecost, after Passover. Passover is the celebration during which Jesus was killed. We're not going to go into that today, that was seven weeks ago. And on Shavuot, they're celebrating the delivery of the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is the biggest event in Jewish history. The Jewish friends I talked to about it knew about as much about Shavuot as my Christian friends know about Pentecost. No judgment, just a realization that this is a big chance for us to learn. 
one of the Jewish sources that I read commented that the delivery of the Ten Commandments was like a wedding between God and the Jewish people. Shavuot actually means oath, and it's a holiday celebrating God's devotion to the Jews and the Jews' loyalty to him. In the book of Acts, when you see the story of what we refer to as the first Pentecost, wasn't actually the first Pentecost, it was Shavuot. And the Jews from all over gathered in Jerusalem. This is a community, it's a holiday gathering. They're in Jerusalem bearing the first fruits as an offering to God. They're celebrating their commitment to him and his commitment to them. So now that we at least have a basic understanding of what's going on, let's read the story. Can we find some crumb ground in the NIV? Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This is a little bit of a wild passage. Actually, the whole book of Acts is a little bit of a wild book. But to quote my Baptist pastor, the question isn't, did this really happen? The question is, do I want this to happen to me? And before we can answer that question, we have to take a look at what's actually going on here. So on the most basic level, what's happening? God is making a new covenant with his people. On the same holiday when he made a covenant with Moses and the Jews back in the Old Testament, and he's making a new covenant here today to always be with them. Everything that had been required for salvation has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit has left the temple. 
This is not the invention of the Holy Spirit. He's existed since the world was formless and void. And now he's resting on each one of them, the same way he rests on each one of us. Okay, not exactly the same way since we don't usually see tongues of fire over people's heads like this passage describes, but you get my point. The Holy Spirit dwells in each of us. The second most basic thing that's happening here is that language, once used to divide, is now being used to unify. Hmm, that's new. But it's also familiar. Genesis 11. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks for stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building. But the Lord came down. Hmm, that sounds familiar. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Let us go down. Huh. God's using the plural to describe himself. This isn't like this was before God was triune. This is the triune God handling the situation. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them all over the face of the whole earth. This passage in Genesis mirrors the passage in Acts. In Genesis, language is used to divide, and the people are scattered. In Acts, it's used to unify, and the people have all come together in Jerusalem. This is one of the ways that speaking in tongues manifests in our world today. Yes, I do believe speaking in tongues still exists. I heard a story about a pastor who was visiting a different country. And after the service, people were invited forward for prayer. And a woman came forward, and the pastor didn't speak the language of the country that he was in. And the translator wasn't available at that particular moment. So they were going to have to wait to communicate. But the pastor was like, well, I can pray for her while we're waiting. So he indicated that he was going to pray for her and started praying over her in English. And he felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray over her in tongues. And he was like, well, she's not going to know the difference. So he decided to go for it. And while he's praying over her in tongues, she says something. And he like nods and smiles because he has no idea what's happening. And he just keeps praying. And she says something else. And he keeps praying. And eventually the translator comes over and the pastor's like, I've been praying over this woman, but I don't have any idea what she wants prayer for. And so the translator turns to the woman and they have this like really long conversation. And the translator turns back to the pastor and is like, why didn't you tell me you spoke whatever the local language was, like Czech, Hungarian or Creole or something? It was not a not a very common language. And the pastor was like, because I don't. And the translator was like, she just told me you were praying over her in Creole. And she said, you asked if you wanted, if she wanted Jesus to be her savior. And she said, yes. And for me personally, when I heard this story, I could get on board with speaking in tongues. 
I was like, speaking in languages I've never studied? Sign me up. And here's what you have to understand. I speak three languages. I have spent a lot of time and a lot of hours studying those languages, failing at those languages, sounding really stupid in those languages, forgetting words in all three of the languages that I speak. To be able to speak Creole or Zulu or whatever it was without any classes, I'm all in. And I wish I could say I have tons of stories like this, Pastor, but I don't. I just know they exist. And if the Lord wants to use me for one of them, I'm all in. But it hasn't happened yet. Potentially because I mostly travel to countries where I speak the language. Or maybe because I haven't been bold enough to try it. And I have some crazy stories from international prayer lines, but they do not involve speaking in tongues. So depending on which resource you're looking at, you may see different numbers on this. But there are generally accepted to be three different types of tongues. The first one, for evangelical purposes, speaking in tongues, like speaking a language someone has never studied, like in this passage and in this story that we just talked about with the pastor. The second one would be for use in corporate worship. The third one is for use in private worship. The passage used both for and against, the second two, is typically 1 Corinthians 14. And that's the same passage where Paul talks about how it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. So let's talk about context first. Paul planted the church in Corinth. You can find that story in Acts 18. Corinth is a Greek city with a lot of sexual immorality. Some people liken it to Vegas or Hollywood. Some people say that's not an accurate representation. You get my point. New Testament scholar and early church scholar Michael Gorman wrote, The Corinthian community was Paul's problem child. The believers in Corinth managed to misunderstand just about everything Paul said and did, to their own detriment and Paul's utter astonishment. By the time Paul wrote the letter we call 1 Corinthians, the church, from the apostles' perspective, was in utter chaos. The letter has the appearance of a laundry list of problems, but there are in many respects of presenting symptoms of a more significant disease. What had infected the Corinthians was divisiveness based on social and spiritual status. But even that, from Paul's perspective, was symptomatic of a more fundamental problem a failure to understand the real-life consequences of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. His goal, Paul's goal, became to convince the Corinthians to embody the cross in daily life in light of past resurrection and soon-to-be return of their crucified Lord. So the Corinthians are finding any and every reason to be divisive. This is the same letter where Paul says he's glad he didn't baptize any of them, but then he remembered he baptized a few of them, and then he backpedals a little bit. So to take a look at speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit, you have to look at chapters 12, 13, and 14. And you have to remember that Paul is trying to be super clear to these people who have literally misunderstood everything. However, what's clear to them is sometimes not clear to us. Like, Paul seems to be contradicting himself as he's explaining. Really? Paul's mansplaining. So if you'll allow me to summarize instead of unpacking every single detail of these three chapters, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the unity of the body. Then he goes on to talk about love. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't actually about weddings. Sorry to burst your bubble. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it keeps no record of wrongs. Those are all good things in the context of marriage, but that's not Paul's point here. He's talking about the manner in which we should be doing things. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, he goes back to laying some of the ground rules for worship. Because there's disorder and chaos, 
Paul's trying to help the Corinthians simmer down. Which brings us to tongues in corporate worship. 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and the surrounding verses make it pretty clear that when tongues are used in a corporate worship setting, there's supposed to be an interpreter. Because if there's not an interpreter, it's just noise and chaos. Paul writes, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone should interpret. Oops, my mic just fell over. Sorry about that. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. This passage actually leads a little bit into the personal worship, but let's talk about corporate worship first. I've been in corporate settings where tongues are socially acceptable, and sometimes someone will have a word or a prayer that they want to pray in tongues, and the congregation will wait for the interpreter before they allow the person in tongues to speak. Sometimes I've been in corporate worship settings where we don't know who the interpreter is until after the person speaking in tongues know, has spoken. The context for that was a house church where speaking in tongues is part of the culture. We aren't an exclusive group, but in order to be invited, you have to be kingdom-minded and open to the works of the Holy Spirit. And when this particular woman got a word in tongues, she had the courage to go for it. And the rest of us sat patiently and waited and listened. We sat in the living room respecting what she had to say. And when she finished, we didn't understand a word of it. We sat there silently, waiting for the interpretation. And none came. And we all looked at each other. And we're like, there's supposed to be an interpreter. Who is the interpreter? We stepped in faith that the interpreter was in the room. And we didn't know where that person was. And someone said, well, when she was praying that, this is what I felt. And we all agreed that that was in alignment with scripture and glorified God and honored us and and could be the interpretation. And someone else said, I felt like the Lord said you had the interpretation. And she literally put someone on the spot. And that person was like, well, I've never interpreted tongues before, so that would be a surprise, but I'm game for it. And that person said, I felt like what she said resonated, what the first interpretation said resonated. But then also there was this other thing. And the other thing also aligned with scripture, glorified God and honored us. And so we decided, yeah, that was our interpretation. And the night moved on, as is the culture of that particular house church. And it was totally socially acceptable. But different churches handle this differently. And so when it comes to speaking in tongues in corporate worship, the most important detail is to honor your local authority and pastoral leadership. Because tongues is something that can make a lot of people uncomfortable. There are a lot of different understandings about it. There's a lot of different doubt about it. And there's a lot of misuse and abuse involving it. So if you're not sure, wait. When in doubt, don't. That's not quenching the spirit. The spirit will present himself in a way that's permissible in that context. That's not going to say it's easy. You still have to take the step of faith. But it still is honoring the local leadership in the house that you're in. Love and honor the people around you. Remember, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Think about that passage in a corporate context and what is going to honor that passage in your movement. So ask permission and honor spiritual authority. The third type is tongues in private worship. And some people call this a personal prayer language. Some people call it praying in the spirit. Some people say without the gift of tongues, 
you're not actually a Christian who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, pause. Nope, we're not, we're not even pausing. We're hard stopping. Hard stop slam on the brakes. Anytime you put a conditional on God, you have stepped away from the gospel. So if you say someone who doesn't speak in tongues isn't really a Christian, that is not the gospel. There are lots of gifts of the Spirit, and to say that someone has to speak in tongues in order to be a Christian is condemnation and it's works righteousness. No, 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 100% no. People who do not pray in tongues are not broken. They do not need to be fixed. Let's everyone just take a deep breath. Are you still breathing? You don't have to pray in tongues to be a Christian. Can we all be cool with that for a minute? Can we not condemn people because of what their spiritual life looks like? Can we keep the main thing that is Jesus Christ? The main thing? All right. Tongues and personal worship. I was ready to move on to tongues and personal worship, but I just feel like I need to say, because someone's listening has been told that before in their lives, that because they don't pray in tongues, they're not actually a Christian. And not only do I want to rebuke that lie, I want to apologize on behalf of the church. On behalf of those who have spewed condemning languages, condemning languages, condemning language about things like tongues, on behalf of those who have been manipulative or abusive or not used the gift respectfully, I want to say I'm sorry. Because I want to represent Jesus to you. And I want you to see him for who he is. And I don't want those past experiences to get between you and God. So I'm sorry. And I invite you to pause this episode right here, right now, to talk to Jesus a little bit. When you're ready to come back, we're just about to cross into 26 minutes of the episode. So you know where to pick up where you left off. If this has been triggering with you, spend some time talking to Jesus about it. And then we can talk about tongues for personal worship. Cool. So I was in college when I learned that speaking in tongues still exists. I had a friend who spoke in tongues and she was super respectful about it. She was aware that most of our Baptist campus was not interested and was highly uncomfortable with her speaking in tongues. So she kept it to herself. The only reason I knew is that we were friends. And we talked about it. And I knew that she loved Jesus. And I knew that she spoke in tongues. And I was cool with that. For her, over there. A few years later, I knew someone who had been spiritually abused involving the gift of tongues. She used to speak in tongues and she didn't anymore. But she was finding healing and she was finding freedom. And she felt a prompting from the Holy Spirit to pray in tongues again for the first time in years. And she was praying over me at the time. And so she asked me for permission. And knowing this was a growth opportunity for her, I let her do it. But it was also a growth opportunity for me. And I still wasn't interested in tongues. And I spent some time in a ministry culture that celebrated tongues above all the other gifts. I wasn't interested. Not even a little. Not even a little. Like people were talking about how they had been praying to want to speak in tongues. They had desired the gift for years and years. And I was like, I don't, I don't care. I'm not, not interested at all, actually. Um, and somebody was like, well, praying in tongues is what you pray when you don't know how to pray. And I was like, um, I speak three languages. I'm pretty good with words. I've never not 
known how to pray. I'm good. Thanks. And that season ended and speaking in tongues was not really a thing in my life anymore. But it kept coming up in my time with the Lord. And he asked if I wanted to speak in tongues and I said no. And a few days later, he'd ask again and I'd say no. And some days I took him to the passages that talk about the list of gifts. And I was like, hey, there are a whole lot more practical gifts here than just speaking in tongues. Like prophecy, teaching, even interpretation of tongues. Can I have one of the practical gifts? I would like one of those, please. Tongues does not seem practical to me. I'm not interested. I don't really find that having a personal prayer language is helpful. So I want a practical gift. Thank you. And the Lord was like, hey, Katie, do you like to cuddle? And of course I said yes. And he asked if cuddling was practical. And I was like, I mean, not really. I'm a single adult. And he said speaking in tongues was like cuddling. And then he asked if I wanted to cuddle with him. And I said yes. And alone in my house, just chilling on the couch, no music praying, no music praying, no music playing. I spoke in tongues for the first time. And then it sat on the shelf like the gift from grandma that you don't really know what to do with. I was very slowly growing more comfortable with it. And to me, as someone who has studied two different languages, I learned English obviously growing up, so it's not like I studied it. Studying different languages and speaking in tongues are totally different. I can't even put them in the same like category in my head, which actually makes sense because I've heard studies done that the part of your brain that activates when you're speaking in tongues is different than the part of your brain that activates when you're speaking in languages, even different languages. So it's a totally different, like, physical response to your body. But here's what I've learned from my own experience. I've learned that God's a gentleman. He won't force you to open your mouth. Even once you pray in tongues, you still have full control of your body. If you're not interested, he's going to respect that. However, the flip side is also true. That there is power in surrendering control and allowing yourself to make childish sounds. Those are hard words to say. Childish sounds. It feels like babbling. It feels ridiculous. It feels like gibberish. And in many ways it is. I don't have the gift of interpretation of tongues. Which means when I pray in tongues, I literally don't know what I'm praying. But I trust the Lord. And over the years and through some life circumstances and experiences, I've realized that there are times when having three languages at my disposal is not enough. I still can't express to the Lord what I'm trying to say. Scripture says that Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. And that's how I picture praying in tongues in my life sometimes. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't even have words for this thing that I'm experiencing right now. And tongues stands in that gap for me. It's a chance to meet with the Lord. And I've heard some people say that they pray in tongues and then English words come. Sometimes they pray in tongues and it lifts their spirit. Sometimes they pray in tongues and they see things happen that they haven't seen happen before. They say something shifts in the spiritual realm. And I would say that's accurate. It lifts my spirit and encourages me. So the choice you have today is what do I want to do with this? This being what we've talked about in this podcast. Do I want to stay in the same of the three camps I was in earlier today? Do I want to take one step closer to Jesus 
and maybe loosen my grip of my previous opinion and tighten my grip on the scripture. Because when your experience in the scripture don't line up, trust the scripture. Even though it looks different than what you've seen and experienced, even when it's hard, trust that the God who's done it before can be the God who's done it again. And that God loves you so intimately that he gave his son for you. That the curtain of the temple was torn, that's Good Friday, so that you can interact with him directly. That Holy Spirit has fallen on you. Tongues of fire live in you. Even if we don't see them bouncing above people's heads, though I do think that actually would be pretty cool. When we talk about controversial topics, when we talk about things that are new to us, one of the best things that we can do is go to the person that we trust whose opinion is the most different than our own. For me, when it comes to speaking in tongues, it was that friend from college. I said, hey, I don't know anything about this. Can you teach me? And I wasn't asking her to teach me to pray in tongues, though I have heard people say that. That's a different issue. I was asking her to teach me what it looks like in her life. I was asking her to tell me those things that she often avoids talking about because she knew our Baptist college wasn't really interested in them. I was asking her to teach me how she's respectful, how she came to speak in tongues, how she knows God's in it, what it has done in her life. So who are the people whose opinions are most different than your own, but that you trust them? And what does it look like to continue this conversation with those people? Say, hey, I was listening to this podcast. These are the scriptures that Katie talked about. These are her stories that she told. You can even send them this episode and talk about it with them. They'll probably have a different opinion than I do. And that's okay. Because we're all learning. We're all growing. We're all forming our opinions as we go. So what does it look like to link arms with that person and take one step closer to Jesus? together. As always, big thanks for listening. I hope this episode has left you with more questions. I also hope it's offered you some answers, or at least maybe an explanation or one perspective on the controversial topic of speaking in tongues. This episode resonated with you. I'd love it if you leave a rating, leave a review, share it with a friend, Jump over to the socials. Let's connect there as well. Katie Axelson on Instagram, Katie Axelson Writer on Facebook, and of course, there are always additional resources available at katieaxelson.com. Let's keep talking about this. Let's keep exploring. Let's keep encountering Jesus together. Know that the Father loves you. Know that he adores you. Know that Holy Spirit dwells in you. And know that Jesus is sitting beside you as your very best friend who wants to continue to explore the topic with you as much as you're comfortable. Be blessed, my friend. We'll see you again in two weeks. We've got a new friend who's coming to share her story about what it's like to be a woman in the military. Mm -hmm.